Welcome into another episode of We're Talking. Today we're talking sports in life with Kevin Foote. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing well. I'm waiting, anticipating the start of football season. It's getting close. So even even though the Astros are on the playoff hunt, football is a is is a big deal. Oh, it's it's separate. Like those are separate. So you can you can yeah yeah yeah. I mean I I'm gonna look. I can still remember being when the Cajuns beat Arkansas State, and and the Astros are playing the Yankees in the ALCS, and you know trying to take play by play, follow the Astros and cover the Cajuns at the same time. Sometimes you got to multitask, as they say. I just don't get excited for football season until that that first weekend when there's real games, there's real players. I shouldn't say real players, but real games going on that count. Uh, until that point, even when my Reds are bad, I'm still watching baseball. It's, Which um, I know you're watching baseball. But. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's funny because I, I, I say it all the time in live and in radio. It's like so many people say they, can't, they don't like baseball because they don't have the patience for baseball because there's so many games. I always say I don't have the patience for football because they never play a game. I like when my team plays and Instead of just talk, I mean, it like there's a certain amount of time. There's a value with like talking about what we think is going to happen, but at some point, it's like let's play the game so we can kind of know what's going to, and then I, analyze that. I, I felt that last week. The Reds played on a Tuesday, Wednesday, had Thursday off. Uh, it got rained out on Friday. They played a doubleheader on Sun Saturday. Yeah, they played one on Sunday, and then they were off Monday, and then they were off. And I'm going like they're never playing. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. I hate it. But uh, I was told that I've become Kevin Foote when it comes to baseball because my Reds have been bad for so long. I know they were in the playoffs a couple years ago in that that shortened season, but we didn't score a run. We were two and done against the Braves, didn't score a run. Right. Really didn't feel like playoff baseball. But this year we're really in the hunt. I mean, not saying we're going to make it, but – I'm living and dying on every game right now. It's fun. You know, again, there's two levels of fun. And believe me, most of my life, you know, they tease Astros because most of my life they had never made it to the World Series until 05. You know, a lot of my life, the Saints had never won a playoff game. And then, oh, they're never going to win a Super Bowl, you know. And so you're kind of just constantly climbing that hill. And so to me, it really is – more fun to be climbing the hill as a fan it's more fun now it's more agonizing too once you reach the top like the astros have been you know the best team in baseball over the last six years and so it's like the regular season isn't as fun because until this year because they've been chasing because you you're all it's all a means to an end because you're just trying to win a championship but when you're not quite there yet then you're just trying to get to that point. And so it's you against the world all the way up. It's fun that way. I'm, I, I guess it's because I feel like that every year come the trade deadline, I'm like, like, who are the Reds going to lose? Who are the Reds going to lose? Yeah. And then at the end of the season, it's like, all right, who's not re-signing? You see all these guys now playing for Philadelphia, Seattle. Yeah. And, and that's every team. I realize that. It's not just the Reds. Right. But when you never seem to acquire the big names and you're constantly just losing them, that's the that can be defeating. Well, it, I kind of feel like, and I don't 
the one thing that's got me going because this year I don't think at the end of the year they're going to try to trade these young guys. I right. think there's a couple of years on the contract, and I think they're going to keep them around to see if they can recreate this again. And some of them they'll keep. Now yeah. you can't sign every like the Astros haven't re-signed everyone. Yeah, you know when Cole came up, they let him go. When Charlie Martin came up, they let him go. When George Springer came up, they let him go. When Car- Carlos Correa came up, they let him go. You have to keep some. You can't pay thirty-year-old center fielders and give them a six-year deal for two hundred million. You just can't make those crazy things. And so they've been. You got to be wise about who you keep and don't keep. Yeah, and especially which I realize it is, but it kind of irks me that. Cincinnati is a small market team. Yeah. And well, they basically I'm, Houston still is considered that. It's weird. And you know, it's not a small city, but it's just not a major media market. And even though they've had success, they haven't quite spent the money that you know the New Yorks and all those teams have. Baseball rule changes this year. Pitch clock, love it, like it. Well, hate what it. I I don't I like what it's done to the pace of the game i'm fine with that but i'm really like christian avier was fabulous last season down the stretch especially in the world series especially but right now he is terrible and i really think the pitch clock he hasn't adjusted to the pitch clock like pitchers that are some pitchers labor on the mound and they do a lot of walking and and they and that's how they've been their whole lives and I never thought of him quite so bad, but I he looks worn out in games to me. And I, he has been terrible. And the only, the only real difference to me is the pitch clock. So I think it's affected some pitchers more adversely than we thought. So in that way, I don't, probably don't like it if that's really the reason. But overall, I think, I think all the rule changes have been pretty good. I was worried about this whole, how, how crazy is it going to change the game where you can only throw over to, first twice and there's been a fair amount of stolen bases but they wanted stolen bases i I don't think it's changed the game adversely so so far i like all the rule changes yes i i love stolen bases and i I just see so many similarities between the reds and the cajuns both are stealing bases at a record pace yeah both uh the 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 script reds and the strip script cajuns Mm -hmm. very similar um the big guy that's on the mound for for the for the reds he he looks like jake hammond to me and i just i just can't get it out of my head like what is jake doing pitching for the red so funny it's uh it's just it's it's fun to watch and uh the the one thing i did not realize i mean i knew baseball fields the field itself is or the stadium each one is different the the foul lines are different. The f- part of the foul territory is different. I just assumed the infield dirt area between first and second that goes out into the outfield. I always assumed that was the same size. But the Reds had to add six and a half yards, or no, not six and a half yards, uh, six, two and a half yards, so essentially eight feet of dirt to get where everybody else was because now with the, the shift, yeah, you can't you, go into the outfield. Oh, yeah, I got so you. So, yeah, they added – Yeah, I don't know that I realized that either. Now, for years in the old cookie-cutter parks, there was no dirt on the infield. You right. just had a little bit of dirt around each base, and it was just turf everywhere. But, no, I don't I don't know that I realized that 
some teams had different amount of dirt. And, and, you know, it was first or second game of the year, and they're showing how they dug that up and had to replace it with dirt wow. so that they could u- utilize the full amount of shift that they had. Right. So uh, uh, I, 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 I missed that. that. That's the little things that I just find intriguing about the game. Right. And, you know, we talk about uh, the, the change in pitching and the, and the, and the pitch count or, or being able to throw to first base or doing this. You know, it's 45 years since Ron Guidry had his Cy Young season. And I'm kind of following that for the Diamond Club. But, you know, he, he had games, he, full, full, full game, 112 pitches. Uh, the game lasted two hours and 12 minutes. And, and yes, and, and it's really not the pitchers that changed, in my opinion. It's the hitters that changed. Back then, they swung at the first pitch a lot. Yeah. And very, they weren't worried about on-base percentage in the 60s and 70s when I was really younger, like they do now. Now it's commonplace to take pitches and work pitchers. For whatever reason, they didn't worry about that as much. I mean, you go back and look at Lou Brock and some of the great leadoff hitters, they didn't all have high on base percentage because their whole purpose was getting hits and stealing bases, but they just didn't worry about it. So I think the hitter's approach changed. Like – if Ron Guidry and all the Bob Gibson and all the great pitchers of the 60s and 70s were pitching now, they wouldn't be throwing a bunch of complete games in 95 to 100 pitches because they, the hitters are different. I, I don't. I really think the hitting changed. It wasn't the pitchers that changed. I, I absolutely agree with you. And you also don't have this stuff. And I, bl- I blame, uh, I was about to say Casey Stingle, but uh, I don't think I watched Casey play. Uh, Casey... Uh, Reds player, every time after a pitch, he stepped at Sean Casey. Sean Casey yeah. yeah, he's a hitting coach now. The Yankees not doing very well. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a whole nother. But, but stepping out, taking his gloves on and off, and yeah. going like, enough, get in there. You know, I don't care if you've got a routine. If you do, you need to stop that when they're in little league. Stop the foolishness. So think about this. I call him Inky, Kyle Tucker, the right fielder for the Astros. He always had this routine where he grabbed the dirt, step out, grab the dirt, touch the tip of his bat and wash his hand. And he found that with the pitch clock, he was having to rush through that. And it was he wasn't really ready to hit. Because he was thinking about grabbing right. the dirt. So I don't know, about a quarter of the way through the season, he said, I gotta stop this. So he started wearing he because he never had gloves. He would do it with his hands. Yeah. So he started wearing batting gloves, and he's been unbelievable since then. For so whatever reason, not doing that, he's now hitting more home runs and dry leading the National American League in RBIs. He's he's having a better year since he went to the batting glove than he ever did before when he had his routine. So you never know. How much of the game, though, speaking of that, how much of the game do you think is mental? Well, what did Yogi say? 90% of the game is <laughs> mental. The other half is. Well, I think mental a lot. I mean, that's the whole thing about. I think managers are important because of how they handle the mental stability. Some of it's team chemistry and some of it's just keeping guys confidence up and uh, giving them enough rest and all those things. I mean, I think not 90%, but yeah. a lot of it, a high percentage of it is mental. I absolutely agree. Uh, you're listening to We're Talking. We're talking with Kevin Foote of 103.7 The Game and the uh, Katie Anna Advocate. 
I'm watching this show called Billions on on Showtime. Mm-hmm. They actually have a psychiatrist. It's about a uh, brokerage firm, high trading, hedge fund, all that and everything. Very stressful. Yeah. They actually have, I think they call her a life coach, but a psychiatrist. She's an MD, a psychiatrist working at the firm to, because you have to deal with people, you know, if they, if they lost money on a trade or doing all that thing. Absolutely. I, I can, can see a lot of that in baseball. I'm not sure baseball players would want to admit that they need to, to sit sometime. Remember, John Smoltz was pretty publicized and he went out and, and got help in that way. You know, I'm, they probably, that's it. College athletics now, I mean, there's been a lot of talk lately, more behind the scenes maybe than like in the mainstream media, but a lot of talk about the mental health of athletes, young athletes, and needing that kind of stuff because, you know, there's been a lot. Mental health is a lot more on the forefront now than it used to be. And I I don't know why. Well, I I know when, probably when I grew up and you're not that much younger than me, there was this. You had to be tough. You had to, you know, get up, you spit on, you know, you right. fell down, get you spit on it and rub some dirt on it. And there you stop bleeding. You can't coach that way anymore. And so I think more athletes feel and people in general feel more at liberty to be honest about that rather than it's just like concussions. I think about it well, now that we know all this stuff about concussions. Think of all the athletes from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even into this century, because we didn't, who got concussions. They weren't real great in school to begin with. Maybe they were just okay, got by, but they got concussions and then they just, you know, you're stupid or you're lazy. And they kind of gave up on them, basically. Think of all the kids that when we didn't know about concussions, that that was the case over the century. You know, it's it, you, you talk about that, and that's where they think Lou Gehrig's disease comes from, is that he was hit so many times in the head and never took time off to give his body and his brain a rest. Yeah. Wow. And you think Orlando Thomas, yeah, uh, Steve Gleason, what were they doing to their bodies? And it was mainly probably from their head. Well, they were defensive backs that were kamikaze guys. So yeah. It's scary. Uh, I, I was in, in the doctor's office the other day and he's like, all right, take off your shirt so we can do an EKG. And he's like, oh, see, you had back surgery. So you had an x-ray. Oh, shoulder, this, that. And he goes, my God, he goes, what were you doing? <laughs> I said, well, I played uh, basketball and I was a catcher. And he goes, geez. <laughs> well, so, I can't say I did any of that. So um, that's probably where I got a lot of my mental issues. <laughs> But my friend's joking. You can see that looking around. Everything's half done in here. I, I'm sure I have 80. I get very bored very quickly and I move on to something else and I just drop the tools where they are and I move. And But when I'm ready three months from now to work on it, I know where those tools are. <laughs> I've got so many articles that I've started and I keep them in a file because mm-hmm. I'm like, I just get bored with them. And I'm like, I'll get back to them later. Yeah. So... I'm, I am going to write a book. I'm shocked, though, that you're a baseball fan with that uh, you know, and, and impressed. It, it, baseball to me, and that's when, you know, it's uh, Leo DeRocha. Uh, it's okay if you think baseball is boring. It's kind of a thinking man's game. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, right. And as a catcher, you had to know 
where your players were and everything. I love baseball because I think there's so much more going on with the game than just right. Trying to throw you're the thinking while a lot of people are thinking nothing's going on. You're thinking. Yes, I'm. So it's constant to you. Yes, like a lot of us are. Yeah. So it, it's uh, I've got three TVs up in in the other room over there. I have three baseball games going on, and it, it's just it's. It's, oh, I think it's awesome. Yeah. It, it's it's a great time, to, especially to be a baseball fan. You know, uh, I'm, I'm sure if I like basketball as, as much as I used to, I'd probably have three. Ba- I do have college basketball on, so I shouldn't say that. It's not a pro basketball player. Uh, I, I, I get on my son sometime because he uh, – because I, I, I think he plays video games too much. And so he says, when you were a kid, you probably just watched baseball all the time. I said, when I was a kid, there weren't that many baseball games on TV. Oh, yeah, right. He didn't believe me. But there just weren't. There wasn't. You had the, the NBC Game of the Week at, at whatever time. And the Astros Saturday. would play every once in a while on Channel 15 or something. But it wasn't like it is now. I mean, nothing like it is now. Well, I remember living in Germany, and nothing was live. I wasn't smart enough to bet my friends on a baseball game because there was no uh, – the game of the week was from two weeks ago. They had to ship it, had to ship the film over. Yeah. It's not like it is now with all the satellites and everything. Right. And we had one radio station, Armed Forces Radio, two hours of country, two hours of top 40, uh, five hours of news. It, I mean, wow. it, it, it was a different world. Oh, definitely. So, and I, and I walked to school uphill both ways in the snow. I heard you mentioned that commercial today about the, yeah that's funny that it, that's a, he goes <laughs> grandpa you you live in my you grew up in miami <laughs> so um we are going to talk cajuns but let's talk saints real quick um dennis allen's second year uh i think dawson mentioned on your show he gets frustrated when people are like after one season or middle of the first season like coach des even Fire the coach, fire the coach, fire yeah. the coach. Uh, what's your thoughts so far, though, on, on Dennis Allen? Well, again, I think last season was so – they were so injured. And, you know, it's hard enough in a transition year to begin with. And then you have all these injuries. I mean, people forget, like, Marshawn Lattimore, I call him that's day one because he's the only good cornerback the Saints have ever had, or great cornerback, I think. And he he missed like almost the whole season, and and it it wasn't just him. It's so hard to evaluate. Now that doesn't mean they're going to be a good coach in the future. It's just an incomplete. Like I like I mean when I was a kid, a lot of times you you got you made it with the grade you did, or you got an incomplete for whatever reason. I just look at it as incomplete, and so I think hopefully they stay reasonably healthy this year, especially on offense, so we can decide if Carmichael works or not is he good enough i i just i just think last year like with des the the off they had so many issues behind the scenes that a lot of people didn't realize that they were fighting against that he didn't make public and then on the field which did get made public you could see that the offensive line just wasn't good enough and by the end of the year they were a pretty good team like they almost they should have beat a good houston team in the bowl game and they they Easily could have beat Troy, who, you know, was the champion. They should have beat Troy, who was the champion. So by the end, they were pretty good. So I just want – I just hope both of them are healthy enough to where we can make a better uh, assessment of what they are. Cajun football, you mentioned it, Des. 
first uh, I mentioned his first year and you brought talked about that. I thought the, really the only game that we played really bad in was the Rice game. I thought we were I thought I hate the statement that they wanted it more. But really that's kind of what happened. I mean, they it, that was a poor game. The Monroe game I thought was poor because they outplayed them most of the game. They should have won. They just gave that game away. Like, you know, punter over the head and you give up what a 90 something yard. I mean, you can't do that stuff. Like that game they just gave away in there my were three opinion. Three or four big plays that and, it, and yeah, they just gave if you that stop game any away. one of those. You win. Yeah. You gave that game away. The Rice game was just a bad game. They, they but they got beat. I mean, yeah. I tend to be okay when I just get beat. But when I give it away or there's controversial calls or you, you know, those are the ones that I really struggle with and linger on for years and years. I know people are going to say that, and they've said it, that, you know, Des was not the right hire. It was the USL in it and everything. But at the same time, I am i don't think you would have seen different results with a new coach anywhere because because of the, the main thing that you mentioned was the offensive line. You know, no question. And the other thing is, look, um, I'm a numbers guy. You're a numbers guy. The Cajuns were 13-1 and one in one-score games. That cannot continue. Right. So, like, I know the NFL and college are two different things, but and we'll see if it's how it plays out. But every almost everyone that's not a Viking fan right now does not think very highly of the Vikings. Why? Because they won like nine or ten nail biting games last year. You can't keep that up every year. And so, whether Coach Napier stayed or not, they were not. And so. They went 0-4 last year in one-score games. And I think they were due to not get the breaks for a change. And now, hopefully, all that's over with, and it's a clean slate, and they can move forward. But we, I wrote articles about it multiple times last August and into September. Coach Des talked about it. That was our major topic of conversation in Sunbelt Conference Media Day last summer was he knew deep down you can't continue to do that. Like – it's luck when you you get outplayed by South Alabama and they should have won, but the guy missed a 30-something yard field goal. That That's not coaching. That's just good fortune. And they just had a lot of good fortune over a two-year period. And they, as I would say, paid the piper last year for that. Well, and you look at not just the year before, but the couple years before and all that, they had built this winning way up because of the offensive line. And then essentially, you know, you got all those guys playing in the NFL now. In the NFL, a couple of them transferred yeah. and, and, or got injured. You know, the offensive line was not a pretty sight at the beginning of last season. Now, again, by the end of the year, it was fine. And it, it's not on paper as good as they thought this year. But by mid-October, early to mid-October, if they don't get any more injuries, and if Quentin Williams comes back and plays like they think he can at right tackle and and or George Jackson plays so well that he ends up keeping the job, I think that the offensive line, they'll be way ahead of they were last year. I, I agree with you. I, I think the offensive line, just with another year under their belt, is going to be fine. Um, Landon Burton was – he played at the end of last season, but, but he wasn't, he he wasn't even close to himself and he didn't even play all the games. And now he's like – the unquestioned starting center and he's healthy and that just all of that makes a big difference. 
people talk about running back as another position. I don't think, I know we didn't show at times, we didn't show the depth that we had in the previous years. But again, those guys, ones at Florida now, uh, a couple of them are playing or uh, on the practice squad of an NFL team, which is which is awesome. But I don't think we're that bad as running back. I think there's, I think again, it goes back to the offensive line. I have a lot of thoughts about running back. One, it hit me sometime in August when I was thinking about what basically what you're talking about now is I think I got to do it and I got to other UL fans and people that follow the Cajuns need to do it. There's a really, really good chance that the Cajuns will never have another running back core like Elijah Mitchell, Trey Regas, and Raymond Colley. That was special. Like that's, they, they each had their own skill sets and it blended perfectly and they were great. You, they may not, you may never get three that good at the same time again. Like maybe you will, but if you don't, it's not the end of And what I'm saying is we need to stop comparing every running back core to them. That's, my point number one on, on, on that issue. The other one is I'm a little worried about the running back situation just because I've never really seen Zylan Perry do it. Like the coaches all tell me how good he is. We got snippets of it, but not enough for me to be confident that he's the guy. I was always a big Draylon Washington guy, and I think he's very good. But like Coach Dez always says, it's not just about what kind of athlete you are. You got to get take care of everything off the field. I don't think he had mastered the playbook well enough, but I think he has now. And so I think we're going to see the real Draylon Washington this year. That gives me confidence that that that, that can happen. And as long as Zylan Perry is what the coaches tell me that he is, that I haven't seen him on eyes yet, I think they'll be fine. I think there's a little difference too. You mentioned the the, the three-headed monster from a few years ago, but and you get some of these younger guys – there's a difference coming in as a situational back, knowing, like you said, four or five plays that you're going to have to run and being in every down back, which we haven't really had. And I don't expect it anyone to be in every day. Right. Uh, I think there is a difference. And uh, I just think, and again, Chris Smith is one of my favorite players to cover since I started doing the everyday kind of UL mm -hmm. football beat when I moved to the KDN advocate, but, but Chris Smith needed to play the Raymond Colley role in my mind. He, I don't know that he was ever fit to be Trey Regis or Elijah Mitchell role. I, I just, I just don't, I think that was square peg round hole from the beginning. Um, I, I think that was a loyalty thing kind of, you know, he'd been there. Experience and loyalty yeah. and who else was going to do it? Yeah. Because again, I think Draylon yeah. had the skill set to do it, but he, he wasn't quite there yet in terms of his playbook and handling all his off the field duties and, and earning the trust with how he handled himself off the field. So he had to do that. You know, if Kendrell Williams never blows out his knee, maybe he's in the mix and he's still not back to that point yet. And then of course the transfer to Florida didn't help either. So I mean, they were a victim of circumstance in a lot of these uh, things last year. But is a, I'm still high on him. I, I I just don't know what to think about it because he's got the size. He's got the maturity. I mean, he was in high school a long time ago, and he seemed to make some 
the big emphasis on him last year was you, you can't just bounce it outside all the time. Sometimes you got to just get two or three yards because that's what we need. Don't bounce it outside and lose and get minus two. And he, he seemed like he was making progress in that. And then he was playing pretty well in the rice game, got a hurt, and then you never heard from him again. So whether it's Kendrell doing something or him, they're going to need a little bit, I think, from one of those besides the three that are the core here and there to, to spice things up. But as long as they're healthy, I think they'll be fine there. What about the receiving core? I know you and I had a conversation on the phone, and I think every position in college is one of those that you've got to expect at some point you're going to have unknowns at it, but people always step up. They do, but I, I got to tell you, I'm worried. And, and and here's why I'm worried that they've been having depth. Now, one thing I disagreed with coach Napier's philosophy and it, 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 it stayed out is the whole idea of having this. I'm, I'm better with a rotation at running back than I am at wide receiver because I just think there's so much more to the connection. I don't know that there's really that much of a connection between a running back and a quarterback. I mean, you kind of not fumble the handoff, but once you get that part down. But there's something about a receiver and a quarterback got to be on the – so I never liked the playing eight or nine wide receivers. That was – I'm not saying there's not any value in that. If somebody gets hurt, then there's a lot of value in it, like they're like – they're, right now situation they're in right now but i like having three or four guys so and i think they were planning on this having three guys dominate the snaps not just playing three guys but three guys taking the bulk of the snaps and then we get an arrest right before camp and the number your number one receiver is gone who knows for how long but maybe for the season so um here's what i'm worried about you can have and we've all think about this you can you can go through like say half a season and you can have a guy make a couple really big catches. And so in your mind, you say, man, he's having a, he's having a pretty good season. He, I remember that big third down catch he made. He had a nice touchdown here. And and then at, after six or seven games, you look at his stats and he's got 18 catches for 196 yards and one touchdown. And that's nice. If you're the fifth or sixth receiver, but that's not good enough if you're the two or three receiver, you know, or one, two or three receiver. So what I'm saying is somebody who's never done it before, like Peter LeBlanc's played a lot of football, but he's never caught, you know, 50 balls for 800 yards and seven touchdowns, you know, a really what we would consider a really good year. Somebody's got to do that. So who is that going to be? That's my question. And I just, because of that unknown, it worries me. I agree with everything you're saying. I just feel like some my gut tells me now my gut trust me my gut's been wrong a lot <laughs> but my gut tells me somebody's going to be there now they all say Rob Williams right all year long every player we asked on offense every assistant coach the head coach they all say Rob who Rob, Rob Williams who stepped up Rob Williams they all say Rob Williams but again Rob Williams has as many collegiate catches as I have, and I'm fat, not a shape, never been in shape in my life. And I'm I just say that to make the point that yes. never done it. Like somebody's gonna have to do something really big that they've never done before. And that doesn't mean it can't happen. It just makes it a little uneasy on this side of the fence. Fair enough. Fair enough. I uh, uh yeah. Now, now the tight ends can help all of that. 
I I'm a big tight end guy. I I think tight end tight ends are the most underutilized position on, on the team because I think it's the safest. Other than throwing a little dump off, which is essentially a handoff to a running back, the throwing the ball to the tight end is the is the is the highest percentage completion you're going to get, and so they have a plus tight end in Neil Johnson, who let's face it, I expect him to be not at that level, but like a Travis Kelsey is for the Chiefs, in that they say he's a tight end, but he's really who just happens to have a big body in yeah. place technically is a tight end. So I think Neil Johnson is going to need to be that in this offense uh, this year. Essentially, he's going to have to be a play like, a, I mean, he'll be lining up as a wide receiver in the slot and stuff a lot, not like, you know, a real tight end on the edge of the offensive line, but they need to, they're going to have to get multiple, like Pierce can catch the football. He showed that last year. I think the tight end can save the whole, a lot of the wide receiver concerns we just talked about. I, I absolutely, I'm, I'm a huge tight end guy. I believe you got to use them if you want to open up your wide receivers or you want to open up your running game. You're going to need your tight end. And I don't think enough teams utilize that position. I agree totally. The other thing that hit me in just in this last week that I don't know that I've spent enough time maybe considering from Sunbelt Conference Media Day, because I don't really start thinking about college football until like Sunbelt Conference Media Days, because I'm in baseball and trying to just get my mind straight from the whole school year, which I get, which wears on me, the older I get. I don't know that I've thought enough about the running backs being a bigger role in the passing game. Elijah Mitchell was good at that. He did that a fair amount. But Zylan Perry looks like an outstanding athlete, like, sounds like he's going to be the kick returner. You know, they're going to really try to utilize him. And I'm wondering, again, we none of this has happened. I'm just thinking. I'm wondering if the, maybe they can throw more to the backs than they have in the past, and that can make up for some of the lack of experience at wide receiver as well. But do you have that experience with why, uh, well, your running backs catching the ball? Though? So you're still inexperienced. No, you, no, no, no question. Like we said, multiple people are going to have to do things they've never done before for this to work on offense, multiple people. But I think they might have to do that more in the past. You probably didn't feel like you needed to, but maybe you need to now. Plus a lot, you want to talk about breakdowns on the defense, not properly covering running backs out of the backfield is an easy thing to break down on as a defense. Cause you don't see it all that often. Especially if you get, if you get the opportunity to spread the field, like the Cajuns have a tendency to do at times, which I absolutely love. I've never understood when you're trying to to get that one yard or something, why you want to bunch people up because you got defenders right there bunching up. Too. Spread the damn thing out. I understand maybe. I like goal. running out of the gun. I, I don't yeah. think teams run out of the gun enough, but that's me. Uh, Saints drive me crazy with that. But anyway, that's a different story. I just, you know, I understand maybe if you're down on the goal line, because to me, Inside the 10-yard line is the hardest place to score from because you don't have you can't right. you can't move that defense around, you can't move them in. So now you got this guy that's uh, covering the wide receiver on the left side, he can kind of shift to the middle a little bit because he there's not as much room to move around. Right. Well, the 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 end zone becomes a defender, you know, more than when you're inside the 10, more than anywhere on the field, absolutely. It's uh, 
it's time you all, at times I'm almost saying jump off sides here, get him closer to the end zone. So you don't mind so much when the, when it's first and goal with the eight and somebody gets an illegal motion and, think, you, and, and you're at the 13. I think that's the, I think, no, I have that thought sometime. It may not be as bad as it seems. No, I just think I, I, I would like to know, and I know they've got this whole thing, red zone scoring and everything. Yeah. So, I mean, we can say this, it should be easy enough to compute, but I, I'm not even, I'm not saying you're going to score from the 30. I'm, I'm liking the 13, the 15, the 18, yeah. inside the 20 between the. And look, scoring in the red zone was a huge problem for them last year. That is a major point of emphasis. And so it's going to be interesting to see. But I, I think, I mean, running the football is a way to do it. But I also think throwing to your tight ends is a way to do that. And because they have good tight ends, I'm hoping that they can get a lot more red zone touchdown receptions this year. I think with the opportunity, like you talked about, with uh, throwing to the running back and throwing to the tight end, I think that that totally gives you – Different weapons in a uh, in a red zone situation, plus with a little taller quarterback than what we've had in recent years. I know he he played some last year. Yeah, I think there's opportunity there to make some plays. And most importantly, is getting back to running the football like you did for the better half of the last twelve or thirteen years. They, they've got to be able to run the football and better than they did last year. And I think they will. And that will help the passing game as well. I'm glad you brought that up because I was listening to you and, and you brought up a name from, for some people long ago, for me was a, a, a happy moment, Kenyon Cotton. Mm-hmm. You know, the first one, was he the first one to get a thousand yards or nine ninety eight or something like that? Thomas Jackson okay. and Kenyon Cotton. Yeah. yeah. Thomas Jackson. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I just he had 900 and I don't remember 900 and something yards. He was like, the, he was the leading, he had the best season ever for a long time. The, the, I, we're going to go way off script yeah. here, not, not because we have a script, but right. Does, does it bug you though that, you know, Jim Brown had, you know, thousand yards rushing in 12 games, and then you had OJ Simpson does it in 14, and Eric Dickerson in 16 games? I'm going like, it's not, it's not the, the same, same thing. No. It's not the same. Don't, don't tell me it, Dickerson it, has it, it's like that in all sports, though. I mean baseball's the one that 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 really doesn't. Well, they had the 154 and 162, but since they went to 162, it, it doesn't as much. That's true. But like in the NFL, all but now that they've played 17, I mean, think about it. I'm going like they used to play 12, then they played 14, and then they played 16, now they're playing 17. So yeah, it's a big difference. You can't tell me. Uh, Eric Dickerson was better than Jim Brown. I'm well, sorry. I'm, I mean, and I know we can. We can. I think they're both really good. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. But, but but no, Jim Brown has always been fascinating figure to me. Just he was just so much better than everybody else. He was just so much bigger, and it's hard to yeah. believe all that. The other one to me that was uh just an amazing athlete was uh was Gale Sayers. Sayers. Yeah. So I mean, and th- this is a whole difference. Yeah. One one more on on the question on the uh, on records and everything. Uh, was it last year? Uh, Judge had the uh, broke the American League record for home runs or tied it, or was that two years ago? That was last year. Is now that there's inter league play? Is it? Does it really? Should there be an American no, League? No, no, no. There should. That drives me nuts. I'm going like. 
You're not playing just American League teams. Do we? Can I we, don't know. I guess. I don't, yeah, I'm with you. I would love to know. And, and this is easy enough for me to do. I would love to know in, in a situation like that. Did you have the opportunity to, because you're playing both leagues now and you're playing every team in both leagues, you've got an opportunity to play teams that aren't as good as if you're playing in the same. Does that make kind of yeah, sense a little bit? But What I think is going away from is you used to play 18 or 19 games and get your own division. Yeah. And if it was a weak division and you kind of own those teams, like the Astros did for years, then it probably makes the level of difficulty a little different in, in a lot of those games than playing a familiar team that's struggling that you know very well. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think there's a give and take there. I, I just don't see the the, the NFL, I know, and it's two different sports, so I'm yeah. not wrong. The NFL doesn't say, oh, uh, well, he's got the record for the AFC uh, touchdown passes. Right, right. I, I think in baseball we're going to have to get to that point, yes, now you, that we have totally balanced schedule. But, but and here's where <laughs> – I'm going to talk out of both. I do like the Cy Young in in, in both, both leagues. Things. Look, I wish it was like it was like most of us. I wish it was like it was growing up, where yeah. we had four divisions and you played your division 18 times. You played the other 12, and you never played the other league. But that that's that's it's they're never going back to that. So you got to adjust or just be miserable. And, and and I think the whole thing there too is like I said when you when you play back then, uh, you you teams really knew what the other team was going to do. Right. Uh, uh, tendencies, I guess, is the best, is what the word I was looking for. You knew the other team's tendency, and expansion has just somewhat diluted the player pool. But there's a certain point, though, that I think it, you know. You needed I think some expansion. I don't, yes. I just don't, I don't really, they're fixing to add a, more teams. Uh, but don't you have to get to that 32 team to get uh, a more balanced that's what they want to do, yes. I mean, I just I, – I agree with you. But I think after – you get to a certain point. I think the ones that get hurt the most are the pitchers, though. Because I don't think Shohei Otani, although I think he's very good, and we're going to discuss that in a second. I don't know that he does both 30 years ago because he had a lot more pitching back then, I'm a lot more good pitching. Right, right. Well, again, the, my point, the steroid era is overrated. The criticism of the steroid era is overrated, in my opinion, because too many people don't factor in that was a decade of major expansion, and the league was littered with AAA quality pitchers that really exasperated that whole situation, and not enough people think about that and factor that in. You had steroids. You had a lot of new ballparks. A lot of them were smaller, and they went. They became popcorn parks, and a lot of them. And you had all these AAA pitchers because you just added, you know, the the Rockies and the Diamondbacks and the Rays and who was the other new team, whatever. The you know, the, you had all these. You had the expansion, the Marlins, the Marlins. Yeah, so um, people don't. But so yeah, expansion is needed to a certain extent, but you have to put what goes on with that expansion through a filter when you're figuring out what's going on in the league at that time. I think at some point, and I don't know if that's eight years, 10 years, 12 years after expansion happens, I think it kind of levels out. Yeah, no, I agree. 
I agree with that. But when when that expansion first happens, yeah, it, the it, first it's ugly. Yes, and it was. I mean, you had way too many AAA pitchers. I mean, we'll never know how many more home runs they hit because of steroids. But I'm telling you, it was about it was going to be an era of of offensive proliferation with all these AAA pitchers in there, whether there were any steroids or not. So that being said, then are you surprised that they didn't break? Ruth's record by more home runs or more people did it because to your point, this is the reason I'm saying this. Yeah. To your point, there were going to be more home runs, but then if you factor in steroids with it too, that tells me it should have been. Well, quite a few considering no one did it for 50 years, quite a few hit over 61. I mean, you know, Sosa did it and McGuire did it and, you know, quite a few hit, there were just so many more people hitting 50 home runs and 45 home runs. I mean, you know, I, like the year your guy, George Foster, would hit 52. I never even heard of that. I didn't even know, like, you know, I was like, 52 home runs? That's unreal. I've got my homework now. I've got some ideas that I need to look up yeah. stats and everything. And what I should have pulled up uh, and discussed with you about, which we're, we're running a little long. I mean, I don't know what, what you have planned, but um, – was this whole uh, – I do have the spreadsheet, 10 years' worth of games for the Astros, and I've broken it down by if they scored 10 or more runs, nine or more runs, what what they did the next day and how many runs they scored. Right, and I think that would be very telling. But we had an example last week. I've, I've been thinking about that. And we had a situation last week where they scored – two weekends ago, they scored – 11 runs on Friday night, and they scored 11 runs on Saturday night. So in that game, after they did fine, but then they scored one run combined over the next two games. So I still think that's paying the piper, even though it didn't happen in the exact next game. I I agree with you. And I also, something you brought up after I texted you, said, hey, uh, I've got these numbers, and I never did really anything with it except pull them up. I I didn't do what I like to do, analyzing it, but – uh, I think people don't understand, though. So you scored 11 runs. The next day, you might have only scored two, but you won the game. But you still paid the piper. In the, you didn't pay the piper in the sense that you lost. lost. Yeah, the piper is not about winning or losing. It's about w- what happened was in that first 11 game, they went like 8 for 10 with runners in scoring position. You can't keep going 8 for 10 with runners in scoring position. You can't keep getting – like the blooper is going to not keep falling with two outs and a runner in second base is the point. And yeah. so th- that's that that's the – some people, when you talk about stuff like this, they expect everything to be literal and exact, cookie cutter. It's not going to always be cookie cutter, but the point is the odds are going to go not your way very soon because that's how baseball works. And I think I looked it up. Well, I, I, I ran the numbers and I think, uh, you know, 62% of the time after the Astros had scored, let's say seven or more runs, they won the next day, but what their average runs. Yeah. Is, you can win three to two. Yeah. I mean, you won to nothing. Yeah. You, you but can, that doesn't mean that you're going to lose. It just means, means that you're going to need a pitch. Yes. Yeah. And I, I and, and more often than not, and I did not see it that way until I pulled the numbers, and then but before I could send them to you, you and Dawson talked about it. And I'm going like, okay, well this makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, 
It's scary I, I, how much I, I, I didn't like, like, like in the regional, I did not like when the Cajuns were in, it's two different level teams. I get it. But when they played Maine and they, they just kept scoring runs and kept scoring runs. And I'm like, Oh, you, you need to just stop. You bring and those people just don't think about it that way. But that's how my mind works. I'm like, enough you need to stop i really wanted to talk baseball of uh, cajun baseball so now that you brought it up i yeah I, I totally i understand that but how do you tell xyz player to come off the bench i mean i know you're not gonna i you're know not that, going to. i know i yeah. know that's not what you're saying yeah yeah you're not hey, going hey, to hey uh Blah, blah, blah. Go up there and strike out. I know you're not going to. But as a fan, when the Astros do that, I'm like, please hit into the double play right here. You need to hit into a double play right here. Get this inning over and move forward. But let me ask you this. The game before, there were two plays that robbed the cage. Yes. That 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 I think changed the whole trajectory of the whole weekend. Yes. So was this the Piper repaying us from the day before? Well. I'm just asking. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I've had that thought before. So it's was just, it really was it was it really because we did that was it really hurting us the next game or was it paying us back for the last game? I don't know. Well, I just think that what happened in the in the game against Miami, you got a lot of base runners, you had a lot of opportunities. It's just very difficult to consistently hit with runners in scoring position. I was talking about Texas, though. The two, the, the no, two, no, 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 no. I'm talking about yeah. yeah. You're oh, saying yeah, that oh, Texas yeah. game yes. helped you against Maine, yes. Maybe so, but I think the main game hurt you more against Miami than vice versa. If 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 we had beaten Texas that way, I would say yes. But in the in the case against Maine, I'm not. We were a far superior team, and, and no, I agree. And, and if you don't do it, then everybody goes. Well, you know, you, you see, struggled they, against. Yeah, me. You, yeah, you weren't as good as. Well, I mean, I don't remember the final score, but I, I, I wish they would have won like, well, you it, know, ten to five instead of whatever nineteen or twenty. What was the score? I, I, I think it was like fourteen to eight. I thought, but I could be wrong. It seemed there. like they scored a million runs. I mean, it just kept happening. And well, happening but, but and Maine kept Maine hit three home runs. No, Maine, yeah, that and, that that made things a little work. You know. A little more where I said, oh, okay, because you're right. Maine kept um, – I forget who they brought in. They brought in a pitcher and pitched much, and he didn't do very well, and they had to pull him really quickly. So that 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 made it more complicated, no question, because, you know, I was there at LSU in 1990 when they had that – what was it, a 10-2 lead over Southern Miss and then lost the game like 14-10 to 10 or something. It was just sickening. So – that kind of stuff can happen, and you don't want it to happen in the postseason. So I, I, I get that point as well. It, it, uh, it's, it's, I, you know, in a sense, to me, it was, it was. I just kept seeing uh, Maine come back. I agree with you. At first, when we jumped out to the big league, I'm like, all right, you know, this is not but, good. This yeah. is not good. We need, need to, to stop. And then all of a sudden, but Maine, they started hitting. They started hitting the ball at the yard. No question. I don't remember. Uh, of course, now my I want to say it was like nineteen to eight or something, but but we'll, we'll have to look it up. Normally, I remember scores better than that, but uh, my mind is gone. And, and it, it may have ended up that way. I just remember it, 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 it for a while. It, every time we did something, Maine turned around and, and 
and did right back. Right. So even though we scored three runs, they scored two runs. We scored four runs. They, you know, I just, you didn't want to ever get nervous, put it that way. And so they kind of kept it from getting too, too nervous. Yeah. Well, I just, oh, here we go. Finally. We're trying to get the final score here because I should know it, but I just, for some reason, I want to say it was like 19 to 8. 19 to 10. Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah. Okay, I thought it was like 14 to 8. Yeah. So, yeah, all right, nine, nine runs. a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll agree with you there. Um, well, yeah, and at one point it was 19 to 5. Right. Because, we, you know, we scored nine in the bottom of the eighth and, then Maine comes back and scores five in the top of the eight. Uh, we scored nine in the bottom of the seventh. They come back and score eight in the top of the uh, five in the top of the eighth. Oh, Lord. Yeah. yeah. So any surprise that we didn't get a chance. I know we talked in Miami. Any surprise though that the Cajuns got in that large bid there that, that year? Well, three weeks to go in the season. Very surprised. Four weeks to go, five weeks to go, very surprised. But when they did what they did in the conference tournament, I kind of thought they were getting in, yeah. So in the moment, I wasn't surprised once they got to the conference tournament, but going to the conference tournament. But I, I still remember Coach Deggs doing a presser, and it was a de- it was one of the last questions, and he painted – this was like two weeks to go in the regular season, I think it was, and – he was like, the only the way that I could see it happen is gotta play coastal twice and need, you know, Southern Miss or one of the good teams to be the team that you play after that. And it just worked out exactly like the, the scenario that he painted is exactly, you know, they couldn't be some team come out of nowhere, you know, it'd be an 11 seed or whatever and come out of nowhere and get to the finals. Couldn't afford that. Had to be beating Coastal twice, and then had to be playing a really high C with a good record at the end, and that's exactly what happened. And you played Coastal the, the, the second game of the tournament that you lose, but at the same time, you don't drop in the RPI no. because Coastal's, Coastal's right. going to host. It worked out perfect. It was a, a perfect storm, that old yeah. cliche, and, and that's what it had to be. And I don't think uh, – I think it, it probably is the same, but I think it looks – to me, it looked better – Losing to Coastal, then beating them twice right. versus beating them, losing one, and then beating the, the second Because you got the extra game. Yeah. Yeah. No, it helped. It was perfect. So uh, I think I think everything worked out. Uh, this was uh, – uh, I, I told this to, to one of the dads that was – you know, he texted me, and he wasn't – not this year's team, the year before. I said, there's something about this team that they got heart. And this team, to me, had heart. The other one had grit. You know, the year before with Jacob Schultz and, and uh Tally and those guys, they had grit. They were they were yes, they were gonna punch you in the face. And this one, you worried because you know, you had Jake Hammond, your Friday night guy. Some say he wasn't a Friday night guy, but he was really at that point, the beginning of the season, he was all we had. Mm-hmm. And then he gets hurt at the end and doesn't pitch. It, it it's amazing what they did to make that pitching staff win not just not be a problem like it was for some of the year but be the reason why you won in the and got to a regional by how they pitched in the conference tournament that was amazing uh gosh i'm i cash 
Yeah, you know, he, he yeah he came in twelve in the, innings in that, that day. No, 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 not not no, cash. Was, uh, um, Blake Marshall. That's right, Blake Marshall. Yeah, Cat, Blake got hurt and ended up yeah. not being. You know, he got on the plane and a boot and everything to go to Miami and probably shouldn't have pitched, but he he gave it he gave it a try. You know, no, no, again, heroic. Yeah. I mean, we're going to be talking about Blake Marshall's performance in the conference tournament twenty years from now. You see how my mind, how slow it is right now? It's because I, 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 I'm trying to make that transition over to football. I know. So, yeah. Well, we, I should, when I asked you originally, we were going to do it at the end of baseball yeah. season and talk about <laughs> it, but various reasons it didn't work out. So I appreciate your time. But one last thing, let's talk about the the three guys that got drafted. Uh, Carson Rockefeller, Julian Brock, and um, Jackson Nezu. Uh, your thought, uh, any surprises there? Where, no, what happened? no, I'm a big. I was a big fan of Julian Brock and 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 just such a great kid and the way he progressed and what they put on his shoulders and how he responded. Um, I feel like he's. I, I feel like him and Carson. I don't know what to think about Jackson as far as his long term potential. And I mean, he certainly you can see the stuff while they drafted him, no question. Yeah. But I don't know how that's going to translate two and three years down the road. But I'll be surprised if Brock. And and Carson, I, I think Carson's going to make the big leagues, and I kind of, I really think Brock will too. I, I, at some point, and I'll be surprised if they don't have at least a really give it a really good run because I, I I just like their makeup and I like their skill sets. I can uh, I know he's back down in AAA, but Hogan Harris had a little stint, uh, more than a cup of coffee, made yeah. made made more in his. Uh, eight weeks or, or 12 weeks that he was up with Oakland uh, and during those 12 weeks. And I do in a year, but <laughs> good for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rob's kind of wacky at times, but, uh, and, and Hogan's got a little weirdness into him, but a fine young man. And so nice uh, to see him be successful. No. And I, you know, you never know, how, you know, he got off to that really rough start, but after that he pitched really well, but you, it just shows you how good you have to be to be a consistent yes. major leaguer for a long period of time. You got it, it's a may all the adjustments you have to make and staying on top of your pitches and and developing new pitches and you know being a being able to counterpunch what hitters are doing to you. I don't know the all the rules about uh, going up and coming down. Like that. Yeah, but, but you know, I, I suspect suspect i think it's the third or the fourth time that they call them up they either have to keep them or they right. have to let them go right you're out of options yeah so, yeah yeah so i i don't know if we'll see him again in, in the major uh this year but i was a little shocked that they just let him let's face it the a's are not very good no uh, and, it, and may you know again i have no idea but, but i sometimes you're like he's not we're not helping him by being up here he needs to go pitch he needs it mentally yeah he needs to fit work on this pitch or work you know work on this aspect and sometimes it's best so we'll see how it works out you know uh white marks talked to me about that he said he said the lower levels he said he said don't look at their era he said because you're told you're going to go pitch 60 pitches you need to work on this pitch this pitch and if they get nine runs out of you they get nine runs out of you but you're going to stay out there and keep working on your pitch it's a it's a lab it's a lab yeah. it's a laboratory it's an experiment is really what it is, and a lot of those in minor leagues. Yes, it is what it is. Yeah, it's not. Your 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 the goal of what you're doing is not, not always win. Yeah, it's not always wins and loss. I mean, they want you to win, yes. but that's not the top priority. You know the uh, 
the A's. I because Hogan was there, I watched let's say three TVs. The Reds mm-hmm. are on, uh, the A's are on, and uh they are a bad, bad fielding team. Not always with an error. I'm just talking about being able to get to the ball. No, no team speed. And when they do, they've took taken the wrong angle and it flies over their head or it bounced right in front of them, a ball they should have got to. I think people misinterpret that stuff all the time. Like you, you don't, you can, you don't have to get an error to be a bad defensive play. And, and then all of a sudden, now Hogan's pitching with a guy on second, but it should have been out. Yes, for the and it should have been the third out, so he should have been out of the inning because because we talk about changes. They're a lot more liberal in scoring than they were when. We were oh there. yes, way more liberal. That, that when I'm going like where way more. I mean, they gave a lot more errors back then than they do now. Yeah. A so, lot more. Well, I could go on talking to you all day, yeah. and I appreciate it. No problem. Enjoy it as always. Um, you've been listening to We're Talking. Craig Malosa on Kevin Foot. You can listen to Kevin uh, 9 to 11 on 103.7 The Game and read Kevin on the Acadiana Advocate. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.